Uh, I do want to pray, pray quickly. You may have heard this past week that a local pastor, Jim Parker, died in a motorcycle accident. Um, he is a friend of our church. He's a friend of my dad. They were youth pastors here in Spokane together. His son and Ben are close, close friends. So there is a congregation in Spokane that we love. It's called Arise is the name of the church, or it used to be called Living Word. And they are, they're, they're brothers and sisters with us, and they're grieving this morning with the loss of their pastor. So would you join me and just pray with me for the congregation, for the family, uh, for, the, for the wife, for the widow now? We just want to ask the Lord would be with them today. Lord, when our loved ones rejoice, we rejoice, and when our loved ones grieve, we grieve. And Jesus, we grieve this morning with a local congregation, brothers and sisters of ours that have lost their pastor, their husband, their father. Jesus, I just ask that you would comfort them today. Be with them, direct them, Lord, and what steps to take. Many decisions need to be made, but God, we ask that during this you would draw close to them. We thank you, God, that you are there, that you are already in the midst of them, and Lord, we just ask for a special anointing today. Be with them, Lord. We love you in your name. Amen. When loved ones grieve, we grieve. So my heart goes out to them today. Um, so we're in the middle of a sermon series called The Book. We're talking about the Bible. We've been giving memory, verse, memory verses to memorize and to learn. And my dad and I were talking. He was going to be gone. And he said, you know, what we haven't really talked about is the reliability of the Scripture. How do we know? How do we know the Bible is true? So that's what we're going to talk about today is how do we know the Bible is true? I'm going to give you just evidence and reason and proof and we're going to talk about that so can we trust this book is it trustworthy so there's a, a memory verse we're going to start off with and it is isaiah 12 2 it says behold god is my salvation i will trust and i will not be afraid for the lord god is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation will you say it one time with me this is isaiah 12 2 let's say it together Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That is where we're going to end this morning with, with talking about trusting in God. But can we trust this book? So a few years ago, my wife and I were living in Eugene. It happened to be my wife's birthday, and we were headed out. We were getting ready to leave. And we had that knock at the door with two fine gentlemen dressed nicely outside. And I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I invited them in. And uh, we started talking. And they were, they were Mormon missionaries. And they were asking me questions. And I was talking with them. And I said, hey, we, got it. we have to get going. It's my wife's birthday. We're just walking out the door. And they said, okay, okay. And they said, will you just read the Book of Mormon and pray about it. Pray whether God revealed it to, reveals it to you as truth. And I'm not, I'm not going to bash any society or any religious movement, but we don't agree. We don't agree with everything that they say. There are some major and significant differences between us and Mormonism, 
Jehovah Witness, Buddhism, there's lots of differences between those. But these were just two, two people that we disagreed, we disagreed with on some key issues. And I said, uh, I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, would you guys be willing to pray about the Quran and see if God would reveal that to you as truth? And they said, oh, no, no way. I said, well, well, why not? Well, that's not true. I don't even need to pray about that. And I said, well, I don't need to pray about the, your book. I, I, I just know. And, and they briefly, that pretty much ended it, and they, they moved on. Um, but here's the deal is, we believe that this is truth. If I said, how many of you say, yeah, I can trust the Bible? We would, yes, we do. Most people in the world do not. Just like I'm not going to believe the Book of Mormon or the Quran or some of these other religious things, I'm just not going to take it as truth. We cannot assume that people outside of the church, and my grandpa just told me that 52% of Christians, people that go to church regularly, don't accept this as truth. So if we don't believe it is true, people out there aren't going to believe it is true. And so if we say, well, the Bible tells me, well, that just doesn't work anymore. The Bible doesn't have foundation. And so how, how can we know that it's true so that when we're communicating with people, how can we communicate to them that it's trustworthy? So we, and we can't just say, we can't simply say, well, that, it works for me. It works for me. Because then what we've done is we've said, what works for me is good and what works for you is good. Isn't that what we just said when we say it works for me? Because there's a lot of Christians I know who believe this who are struggling. And it, and it as we would say, works, which would mean I have a happy life, a happy marriage, 2.3 kids, picket fence, sweet minivan that opens doors all by itself, whatever your American dream is, it may not be, it's, it's difficult sometimes. And I know a lot of people who life is working for that don't love Jesus. But they just, so how do we know? We can't say it works for me. What what is out there that we can say, no, I can trust this. There are, I know people that when people come to their house, they say, you need to show me in the Bible how that is true. Well, how, how do we know the Bible is true? The, um, so let's, if we're talking about, I mentioned the Mormons, a, a common thing I hear often is, well, in Revelation twenty two eighteen it says don't add from the book. That's true. And if you've heard that, that is not talking about the Bible. It's talking about just the book of Revelation. So, so it, it doesn't, that, that's wrong if you say, well, Mormonism isn't right because Revelation 22 says that, 18 says don't add to the book. Did you know that in Deuteronomy 4, 2 and Deuteronomy 12, 32, it says don't add anything? There's a lot of Bible after Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 12. So, what those situations are talking about is those specific sections of scripture. So we're going to talk this morning about how this book came into being and how can we trust it? How do we know it's true? This morning we are going to admit, or I'm going to admit some weaknesses, some problems, because we need to be honest about what we believe. If, if, if we aren't honest, we're not credible. If I say I am the best chess player you've ever met in your entire life, and I don't even know what a, where a rook goes on the board, I am not credible, no matter what I tell you. So this morning, 
we're going to talk about some stuff that just will help us. We need to be honest. So let me talk about some potential problems that we're going to answer this morning. Some potential problems that people have with trusting this book is that it's old. It's at least 2,000 years old. At least 2,000 years old. So people would say, that's a 2,000-year-old book. I can't trust this. How does this apply to my life? Who cares? It is old. It's, it's a different culture. It's a different, uh, it's a different time period. There was no internet. There was no cars. There was no equality. It was a very different society. How, how does how they lived impact us today? Why does that matter to us? It was a different language. And then, not only was it a different language, in order for us to read it, we have to rely on people who have studied other languages and then made it into English for us to read. So we're relying on people who wrote it, people who read it, translated it, hopefully they translate it correctly, and then we can read it then. So there's all, there's all these kinds of problems that we need to be aware of. And these are fair concerns. And we, we need to be able to understand. So when people say, how do I know that this is accurate? We need to be able to answer and say, this is why I know I can trust this is the word of God. Another major problem is it was written by men. It was written by people who are flawed, who are biased, who have problems. It was written by men. It wasn't God just didn't hand it down and say, here you go, have a nice day. Men did write it and they have their own unique gifts and abilities. How can we trust these guys? And finally, why are there so many Bibles? Have you guys wondered that? There's like a Bible for soldiers, a Bible for toddlers, a Bible for four-year-olds, a Bible for women, a Bible for men. I mean, there I get book magazines and I get magazines full of Bibles. That's the only thing in these magazines are Bibles. There are a lot of different Bibles out there. Why? Why is that? So we're hoping to answer some of these things. Do you notice some of the words are changed? So uh, I, I use the ESV. My dad uses the New King James. Some of you use the NIV, and there's different wording. It's, it, and then I was talking to a few people. There's occasionally a missing Bible verse, and you're going, where did, where did verse 43 go? I have 42 to 44. What happened? Why? It's it just... There are a lot of things we need to know about. And so we're going to talk about that today. So the big point, though, is this. How we end up viewing this will, how, will be how we view God. If we don't trust this, we're not going to trust in the God of this Bible. If you trust the God of the Bible, then you want to know why you can trust this so that you can answer appropriately. There are a lot of young adults, I work with a lot of young adults in college age, I love college age in general, and a lot of them, they're leaving because we can't answer why. We, we, we're not even willing to ask why, let alone be able to answer why. So why do some of these things exist? We're going to talk about that because if we trust the Bible blindly, without understanding or asking questions, when we are in danger of when somebody comes, a gifted speaker who doesn't believe necessarily what we believe and, and gives us evidence for other things, we say, oh, that's right, that is true. And, and we can get lost if we don't know why. I was, a few years ago, there was a book that came out that just blew through the Christian society. It had people really mad, and then it got turned into a movie. It's the, the book and the movie, The Da Vinci Code. 
Anybody familiar with the Da Vinci Code? Anybody remember that? I'm not asking who read it because I wouldn't want to, you know, kick you out. But it was an interesting book. I'm just kidding. I, I did read the Da Vinci Code. Well, part of the part of the fire behind it and the controversy was that it had elements that challenged some of these things. I was reading it. I did read it. It was. I thought it was a good book. I did enjoy it. But there were things that were like kind of true. And it, it made it look like it was true. So for example, it talks about in the fourth century, it talks about how the guys in the church got together and voted on how the Bible came into being. And then it says, you know, these guys were money hungry and powerful and didn't want to lose their power. And it just kind of took off and held this whole thing. Now, when you read it, if you are not a Christian, you'd say, oh, that is terrible. I can't believe that. Then you doubt the Bible. Or there'd be some people that say, oh, no, that's not true. No, there was a vote. This book came into being by a group of people voting. It did happen. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So we need to know these things. So when we read books or people ask us, we can say, oh yeah, oh no, yeah, that's true. And that's not true. And this is why I know this is the word of God. So we want to have confidence in that. So I'm going to ask this, how did we get our Bible? I'm going to give you a brief history about the Old Testament and New Testament. And we'll talk about why that's important. The, the Bible is broken up into two major sections, Old Testament which ends in Malachi, and basically the Old Testament is before the birth of Jesus. The New Testament starts with Jesus and is about 400 years after the Old Testament ends. So you go through Malachi, there's about 400 years of nothing, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that starts the New Testament, that's about Jesus. The Old Testament is primarily written in, in Hebrew and Aramaic, so it's different languages. So again, we're trying to understand and interpret different things uh, but by the time it got to Jesus it was basically finished they had been for a thousand or more years 1500 years they'd been collecting writings from Moses David Samuel all these guys are putting them together and if, if you're reading in your life journal which hopefully you are you're reading in first kings where it says and in the book of the kings and in this book there were other writings going on during this time period. There were other things. But these books, as they're being written and they're, as they're being read, the people are saying, you know, there's something different about this book. There is something unique about this and they're collecting it and they're adding it and they're keeping it. And so, yeah, there's other stuff, keeping records, but there's something, after it was written, they say, no, this book, this writing is different. And there's an acknowledgement by the people, by the priests, by the people of God saying, this is inspired by God and is different from just a regular history book or just is different from a different poem. This is unique. This, we are saying, is inspired by God. So they're put together and there's, there's an acknowledgement that God is in the midst of it. And then, so these things are being written and then we, we call it the canon. So we would call this the Bible or we call it the canon. This is approved writings that we say are from God. And so Jesus is alive and he's, he's memorized most of this. He's quoting this. He is giving background and he's giving, when he's quoting these, he's saying these are legitimate God-inspired writings. So how do we know the Old Testament is valid? In part because Jesus is quoting from these exact words. He quotes from Deuteronomy. He quotes from Psalms. He is, he's using these inspired words from God and he's giving, he's giving credibility to those things because he's quoting from them. In 1946, 
in Qumran, Israel, maybe some of you guys have been there, the, there was a huge archaeological find, very significant for us. It's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Okay, lots of important information about that. For our purposes today, what, we, what happened is a boy is out in, in the desert, basically, watching his sheep. He's a boy, takes a rock, chucks it up into a cave. Here's a crash. Thinks, that's weird. Goes and investigates, and he finds pots containing old, old scrolls. So they go throughout the whole area. They find all thousands of scrolls, maybe hundreds, I can't remember, but a, a significant amount of scrolls. And in these scrolls are, they're from 400 to, or 400 to 100, 400 BC to 100 AD. That's the time period these scrolls were written. A lot of them were 200 years before Jesus. And these scrolls are significant Jewish writings. And for our purposes, the Old Testament is in there. So what we see in there is that Jesus is quoting from these exact words and phrases. He's quoting from these. And what's important for us to realize is that when we look back and we say, okay, these are what we found in our archaeology. These are our words. When we look back from 400 BC, it's the same exact words. No group of men got together in 400 AD and changed the words so they can have power and influence. It was the same word for word. There were, honestly, there were a couple of slight differences. And instead of in, it would be of. Something very minor changes. But the theology behind the Old Testament is exactly the same from 2,000 years ago. Nobody's changing anything. So archaeologically speaking, that was important for us to see the Old Testament is the same now as it was when Jesus was around. It's an important thing for us to know. No one's changing anything. So my question is, who, who cares? Is, is this really important for us to know how the Old Testament was put together? I say yes. I say yes because we need to know that Jesus is quoting from these and he's giving them power and credibility. So when we quote from the Old Testament, we have that same confidence that God is using that, that, those words and those letters and we can use them today because they're inspired by God just like they were then. So when we look at the New Testament then, the New Testament gets a little more complicated and I think a little more fun, but that's just me. Um, we can still trust it. So the New Testament comes and this is how it was came about. It was written primarily in Greek and in the first century you have these guys living, they're with Jesus and 30 years after Jesus is gone, people are starting to die off. And so guys like Mark, Matthew, Luke, they're saying, you know, we really need to get some of these stories down. And so they start writing their stories. And then Paul comes and he's writing letters to these churches. And so you have people telling their stories of what happened with Jesus. And then you have people writing letters to churches. People would receive these letters and these stories and they'd say, oh, that's good. That's good. They'd write it down, copy it word for word and send it to the next church. The next church gets it and says, oh, hey, this is good. They write it and they just start passing it. So people would just keep copying it and passing it and copying it and sharing it. So it's important for us to know we do not have the originals. We do not have Paul's signature on, on the letter of Romans. We don't have that. But we have copies of copies and copies and thousands and thousands of copies of these letters. And so, and when we group these together, 
There's very little differences. Some stuff that you found in 18th century wherever is very, very similar to what we find from 80 AD, from 81 AD, from first century. It's very word for word. That doesn't happen by accident. We don't find that in other, like the Iliad. Anyone ever heard of Homer, Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey? No one, no one complains about the legitimacy of the Iliad and the Odyssey. We have way more copies of the Bible in the New Testament with much fewer conflicts than Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. But you don't hear anybody saying, I'm not sure if that's what Homer really said. You don't have that. But with the Bible, you have such scrutiny, and yet we have thousands and thousands of evidences that say, no, this is what they, exactly what they wrote. What's also important, though, is there is, just like in the Old Testament, we have other great people writing great letters. Guys by the name of Clement, and my fav- probably my favorite name, Polycarp. Polycarp was a friend of John the, John the disciple, and these guys are writing letters, and we have copies of them. So it's not like the, these letters from Paul and Peter and Jude and James are the only letters going around at this time. There's other church leaders writing letters, but it's something specific about what we find that makes it inspired from God. So we, throughout the next few years, uh, people are dying off and there's still these letters that we have and they're, they're passing it around and it spreads throughout the, the Roman Empire, basically. And then people come up and they're starting to have diff- different opinions. Anybody know in churches you can have different opinions on things in the Bible? <laughs> yes, a few, a few hands go up. Well, people come up and they say, this isn't true and this is true and we're, we're getting rid of this Bible, this book and all this stuff. So they have in the fourth century, like I mentioned from the Da Vinci Code mentions, there was a council. There's two different councils that met to say what's true, what's not true. But these guys didn't just make up stuff. See, before they were, came to this point, there were, there were, earlier than this, there were two historians that said there are 27 books in the New Testament, which is what we have, and they list them. So these councils, basically, they didn't make stuff up. They were just affirming, basically, what was already, already accepted. So when these councils got together, they had three main criteria for a book to be in, the new, in our Bible. When they were saying, let's make a Bible, let's affirm it so we can agree on what's true and what's not. They, they had three criteria. The first one, which is in your, it will be on screen here, is universality. And by this it means, is this accepted by the church to be inspired by God? And is everybody using it? So there were other books like Polycarp's Great Letters, Clement's Great Letters. But some people just weren't convinced that it was from God. It was a great helpful letter. But they're saying, you know, there's just something different about these 27 letters, these 27 writings. So they, they didn't get included. So, or maybe one part, one, one part of the hemisphere was saying yes, another part of the, the Roman Empire was saying no. And so they talked about it. So was it universally accepted to be God's word? The next one, and this is important, is it apostles' authority? And by this it means, is it written by an apostle or is it written by a friend of an apostle? So we take Mark. Mark was not a disciple, but he was a friend of Peter. And we have evidence that shows that Peter told him his story. He traveled with Mark. These guys were friends, and it is Peter's story that Mark tells. So Mark wasn't a disciple, but he got his story from Peter. So there's the apostle Peter's, he's his authority. Luke, he wasn't a disciple, but he traveled with Paul. 
He got Paul's story. Paul was an apostle. Now, he wasn't one of the early 12 when Jesus was alive, but Paul, his authority mattered then. And Luke, Luke did something unique we're going to talk about in a few minutes. He investigated. Luke went back and talked to these people. So Luke, he's credible. He's a credible witness to what took place. He has Paul the Apostle's authority. So we get different groups like um, the, the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas was written several hundred years later, and they're just making it up. And so they're saying, no, we're not going to accept that. Or these other guys that had other writings, if they weren't a disciple or a friend of disciple, you're not getting in. It might be a good letter. It might be interesting. It might even be helpful. But you're not inspired by God to be in our word, in our canon. The last one is number three, orthodoxy. And by that, is it a correct belief? Did it align with everything else? If there's something that says that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, or Jesus wasn't, uh, wasn't from Mary, wasn't from an actual human as well as God, it wasn't included. It was kicked out. So that it had to have the correct belief. There was, if there was anything in these 12 that contradicted each other, it was out. So there was some good discussion about some of these. So, these, so when we read these Bible, we can, we can know that this was prayed over, thought about, taught, that it had to have certain criteria before it was trusted to be God's word. We're not just saying, oh yeah, this is, this is, yeah, this is good stuff. It's from God. How do you know? Because guys prayed. There was criteria involved. There were measuring tools used to make sure we have God's word today. Again, I asked, do we need to know this? Yeah, we need to know this. It did come from man, directly from God. God didn't just say, here you go, Peter, here's the, here's the Bible, go. God used people's skills and ability. He, he used people for his glory. And I think this is important for us to know because he still does the same thing today. He uses people in our biases, in our sin, in our problems. He still uses us for his glory today. So these guys weren't just quoted word for word. They didn't get some... some like where they went into some crazy trance and were told word for word what to write and you know, they didn't have any control of their hands and the Holy Spirit's using it, removing their hands. That's not what happened. In Revelation, we do see a little bit of God saying, write this down. We do see a little bit of that. But it's very minuscule. It's mostly God or people just writing down what they see and God using them for his glory and inspiring that. So again, we have this great, beautiful intertwining of people using their gifts and God filling them for his purposes. So, when that, and then we have the unique ability to say, okay, this is our Bible. So, it, when I say Revelation twenty two eighteen doesn't, it, when we said don't, don't add, the John, there was no Bible for John to say, you don't add to anything in here. He was just writing Revelation. When John was writing, there was new, no New Testament at that point. He couldn't have said that. It wouldn't have made sense. But when there's new writings today, after the first century, we can say, well, is that a friend of an apostle? Because according to what we believe, you have to be a friend of the disciples in order to make the cut for God's word. And, and if that's not true, then we would count that as not being part of God's inspired word. All right. So, so what happens from that point on is people write for thousands, for the next 
1,500 years, people are writing down copies, passing it on. And then uh, monks, my dad mentioned last week that monks and monasteries would spend their lives copying word for word what the Bible would say and spreading it. So what has happened though is the, we find copies from the first century until now of the Bible. And what's again, very rare is the accuracy of the New Testament when it's written very rare and it's the amount and the the vastness that we have is overwhelmingly we can count on these words being what was written there might be a word or two maybe there's not a the i mean it's, it's very minuscule but we can trust what's in here to be what was written god used his godness can i say that god used his power to to direct these people and we have that today and we can trust on that we can trust on that Okay, so I believe we can trust it. There, there are people, though, that will say, yeah, you can, but I don't. And that's up to them. Because when we get to, you can overwhelm people with evidence and they still may not believe. Jesus, the Son of God, was standing right in front of people and they didn't believe. He was resurrected from the dead and you still don't have whole cities coming to believe in him. People in the midst of ob- what I think is obvious truth can be blind to it. So it does take a measure of faith to get to that point. Whatever your system of belief is, if it's, I mean, most of us here would say Christians, but every system, science, whatever religion, at some point has to have faith in, in that system. And we, I say, there's enough evidence for me to believe in Jesus. Okay, I'm gonna move quickly through this because I do think it's important that archeologically also, I think this is really interesting, there is, did you know that there has been no evidence of David outside of the Bible? Did you guys know that? Like there's David, King David. He's amazing. You would think that there would be some evidence that David existed. And I guess let me say this. I, I'm, I'm talking about outside the Bible stuff because I, I can say whatever I want about myself, but that doesn't make it true. So if we just keep going back to saying the Bible says this, that doesn't necessarily make it true. So we need to be honest about that and say, well, what evidence is? There's a lot of scripture, a lot of books out there that say something that's not true. So there's no evidence of David. For thousands of years, we believed in this great king of Israel. No evidence. Until 1993. In 1993, we find this stone in northern Israel about a, it's, it's on a stone, it's engraved, where in an army conquered, it says, the house of David. The nation of Israel, it says the nation of Israel and the house of David. So you can see here, here's the actual rock on the left. You can see the white, I don't know if you can, but there's white things there. And that says the house of David. In 1993, first evidence that David actually existed outside of the Bible. Anybody here born before 1993? In our lifetime, we find evidence the Bible is true first time ever. The Bible never lies. We heard about that last week. uh, I think it was maybe two weeks ago. Proverbs 35 was our memory verse. Every word of God proves true. It took 3,000 years, but we find evidence that David actually existed. And he would have had to have been significant because it says house of David. He would have had to have been a king. So the Bible proves itself true again over and over again. The Bible proves itself true, even when for 2,000, 3,000 years, there's no physical evidence, but there it is. 
and we can, we can look at that. Um, I'm going to give you Luke 1, 1 through 4. I'm not going to read it. But in it, Luke says, I have gone and investigated and talked to people. I have, I, I have interviewed eyewitnesses. He said that. And so I believe that if this wasn't true, if people were saying, no, that's not what you're saying, Luke, your story doesn't match up, it wouldn't exist today. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says, there are 500 people that saw Jesus and most of them are still alive today. Go ask them. I believe, again, if this wasn't true, Paul wouldn't be saying it. These are historical documents that we're finding from the first century, second century, saying, go ask these people. Why would these guys write it if it wasn't true? I believe these these are physical evidences. Okay, so the... Here, two words come to my mind about this, and that is honesty. We need to be honest that there are difficult things in the Bible. And I've said that a few times, and I hope to answer some of those things. The other thing, though, is arrogance. As I was studying, I just kept thinking, man, we cannot, I, I cannot be arrogant in how I communicate this to other people. Because even though I believe it is true, that doesn't mean I get to slam it in somebody's face. I don't get to shoot bullets at their ideas. The reason I'm giving this to us and showing us is not so we can shoot people down and kill them. The reason I'm talking about this is so that in difficult times, we have a firmer foundation. I'm wanting not to give bullets, but rocks for foundation today. So that when we come up against something, I can say, no, God's word is true. I can, t- I can trust it. It is trustworthy. So when, we, when people do come to us, it's not an arrogance that we say, hey, this is what's going on, this is what's true. It's in humility and love that we would share these things, not to prove ourselves right. The, the next question, though, so we've talked about can we trust it? I'll leave that up to you. I think we can. Um, another question, though, this is not the two questions on your notes yet, but the next question is do you? So yes, we can, but do you? couple, I think it was this week actually, I was outside with my kids. One of them threw something on a roof. And so I picked one of them up, put them on the roof because it was lower. And I said, go get it and come back to me. They went and got it. They came back to me. I'm like, okay, let's jump. Come on. And it wasn't happening. Okay, okay. Sit down, scoot on over. It wasn't happening. It was, well, you know, they were up on the roof, loud, and I couldn't imagine what my neighbors were thinking, like, why is, that kid, why is that kid up on the roof crying like that? Where's his father? And so I was thinking, you're not trusting me. You say you do, but you don't. So we had to get the ladder out and go get the child, bring them back down. And um, we can say we do. We can say it's trustworthy. But the question this morning is, do you? Do you trust God? Because if you do, it's not blind trust. It's not like my kid got up on the roof and said, I hope my dad is there and jumps off. That's not what we're doing. But sometimes we pretend that way. We pretend that Christianity has no reason, no logic behind it. I don't know. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to trust. No, we have good, sound, thinking reason behind what we believe. It's because I've been down this road before and God's been there. It's because Somebody put me up on that roof and I know he's standing right there because I can see him. We have, we can trust God. Do you this morning? And if you do, your world life is going to be very different. 
And if I say, do you, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you, as the Bible says, go to people and talk to them when you have a problem, or do you gossip about them? If you do trust the Bible, I, I may get somebody mad at me, but if you do trust people, do trust God, do you do what we just read in Proverbs 3, 9 that says you give your first fruits to God? Do you give what the first amount that you get, do you give that to God or do you say, I'm gonna hold on and see if I can make it to the end of the month first? Do you trust God or do you not? Do you forgive people like Jesus has forgiven you? Because that's, uh, we say, yeah, I can trust God, but sometimes I'm a little unwilling to. So my two questions then are this. Can we trust God? I'll let you answer that. But the next answer is, will you trust God? Next question is, will you trust God? Because if you didn't trust God when you walked in here, that's okay. Jesus still loves you. From now on, will you trust God? Will you put your hope in him? Will you, the Bible says, will you call him Lord? Will, you, will he be the Lord of your life? Which means you will lay down yours. Will you, husbands, love your wife like Jesus loved the church? What does that mean? Oh, nothing except that he died for us. He laid down his will, his desires for us. Husbands, that's what we're supposed to do. Die to our wives. Do we lead like that? Wives, the Bible says to submit to your husbands. Will you trust God in that? You say, whew, you haven't met my husband. Or maybe say, you've met my husband. <laughs> if, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, I've, I've done some counseling for, your mar for marriages and stuff. You know what I've never had? I've never had somebody come to me and say, Isaac, we got to get a divorce. This is not working. I say, why? Why is it not working? Because... I am doing all that I can to make my spouse happy. And we just can't get along. I'm serving, I'm loving, I'm serving. And they just won't say yes. And the other person says, I know, we just argue all the time because I keep saying, no, it's your pick. Your pick. I'm not picking, you pick. It's, I keep making it all about them and serving them and they won't let me serve because they're too busy serving me. We're just not getting along because they won't let me serve them. I've never had somebody get in an argument and come to my office and say, we can't make a decision because they won't pick. I keep saying it's your choice and they say no. It's your choice. Has anybody gone to counseling over that? No, we, we have not gone to, count, gone to marital counseling because I want the other person to pick and they won't because they want me to pick. We haven't had that discussion. Will you love like that? That's what the Bible asks us, to love our neighbors as ourselves. I love myself a whole lot which means I better ramp up my love on my neighbors. Will you love like that? Will you forgive like that? Will you trust Jesus like this word is worthy of? We can trust him. There are a lot more reasons we can talk about, but we can trust Jesus this morning. Will you? Let me, let me say this. Um, I'm oh man, I'm running way out of time. But Luke 5, 1 through 11, which we'll probably speak on here in the month of July. But in it, Jesus is with his disciples, but they're not his disciples yet. They're out fishing. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, throw your, Peter's been out in the, he's cleaning up his nets. He's been fishing all night. And Jesus says, hey, go out there and cast your nets on the other side. And Peter's like, look, um, 
I know you're not a fisherman, you're a carpenter, but I've been fishing my whole life. I kind of have this fishing business. I'm pretty successful. Um, I'm not going to do that. And Jesus is like, just, just go do it. So Peter goes, okay, okay, God. Or, or he says, okay, Jesus, I'll go back out there. I'll get out my nets. I'll put them back out. And it says there were so many fish that he had to call in help. See, Peter saw Jesus as trustworthy. Jesus at this point was just a teacher. He was just a, a rabbi. And he saw Jesus as probably pretty trustworthy. But then Peter had to make a decision at that point. Would he trust Jesus? And he did. It was at this point when he comes back in that Peter just bows down at Jesus' feet and he says, oh Lord, have mercy on me. I, I believe that this is one of the key points in Peter's life. If he didn't trust Jesus, who knows what would have happened. But Peter trusted, saw that Jesus was trustworthy, did put his trust into action, and he became St. Peter. He became the leader of the church because he was willing to put his trust in Jesus. That is what I want for us today. Not only can we trust in the word of God, but mainly, will you? Will you this morning trust in it? That is my hope. That is my heart today. And that's in everything. Family, finance, future. Where are you not trusting in God? And will you? Will you stand with me? Jesus, I thank you for your book. I thank you for your word that you've given to us honestly, miraculously, and how it's been passed down and, and got to us today and how in the midst of all of the humanity that have touched our Bibles that we hold in our hand or in our phone or on our computer screen, all of the amount of messed up people that you have used, Lord, you, you're amazing. And we trust you, Lord, today. Jesus, today there are people here that um, perhaps are nervous about things, Lord, let them know that, they are, that you are worth trusting in. Yes, we can trust in you, Lord. Today, I ask that you would help us to put our trust in you, to put our faith, our belief into action instead of just mentally taking note of it. Lord, with our finances, our future, our family, Jesus, help us to trust you. We need you today. We love you. In your name, amen. Amen. You guys are a great-looking group. Thank you for joining with me this morning. Have a great week.